Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of The Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valliere. Glad to have you with us on a Friday. It's a very special edition of The Jadava Show. Uh, we're going to start off by answering some of your questions in a special mailbag episode. Um, and we also have an interview with uh, my good friend uh, and buddy, Matt Flaherty. Me and Flaherty have known each other since high school. We've been best friends for about seven years now, and uh, he'll be on the show later to talk a little bit about some Conor McGregor <clears throat> and Washington football team. And then after that, we will uh, predict this week of the NFL season. All right, so let's get right into the fan questions. If you hear uh, your question, feel free to stick around and listen. If you don't, then keep listening until you get uh, your question answered. First uh, statement. So state the first are statements, second are hot takes. So I will address statements and hot takes. First statement is from uh, my buddy Jack Jones from VMI. He says, Pete Carroll not calling a run play against the Patriots in the last minute of the Super Bowl is the worst play call in the history of the NFL. Um, I'm going to defend Pete Carroll on this. I know this has been a hot take in sports for a long, long time, uh, for the past five years or almost six years now that it's happened. Uh, Pete Carroll, of course, at the one-yard line, had a chance to run the ball into the end zone with Marshawn Lynch with under a minute to go, and that would have won Seattle their second consecutive Super Bowl and forced the Patriots to lose their third straight Super Bowl. Um, However, uh, Pete Carroll decided to let Russell Wilson, who at that time was a third-year quarterback, decided to let him throw the ball at the one-yard line, and it was promptly intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Look, I understand the thought on the play. I understand. I mean, look, I know it's a bad play call in hindsight because it was an interception, but Malcolm Butler, first of all, made a great play on the ball. And um, I think overall it was a pass that I think was pretty well thrown. I don't like who it was designed to be thrown to, but I like the idea of, of throwing the football because if you run the ball, you have a chance to get stuffed at the one or that even lose yardage against the, uh, a Bill Belichick type defense. So, um, then you would put put him behind the sticks, have to burn a timeout, and then the pressure's on third and fourth down. There's only two plays left to get the ball into the end zone, so eventually you would have had to throw it, and it's a throwing league. Throwing is the most successful way of doing things. I just have a weird, hard time finding if Marshawn Lynch was able to get into the end zone. So it's a bad play call because of the result, but uh, I liked the thought um, behind P. Carroll throwing the ball there or allowing Russell Wilson to throw the ball there. I just think it, um, it took a really, really great defensive play by the Patriots for that uh, play to even happen. So that's my opinion on that. Next question is from Matt Snugs of Virginia Tech fame. Snugs asks, are podcasts going to eradicate talk radio? Uh, well, I sure hope they do, um, because if they don't, then um, we could. Well, first of all, I would like this podcast to eradicate talk radio single handedly. I mean, it's pretty much unlikely, but that would be pretty cool. I don't know. Podcasts are becoming much more popular in this day and age. You know, everybody likes to create podcasts or tune in and subscribe to podcasts. So I do like that. I think podcasts are trending up. Talk radio is still very, very prominent. I can, I believe we can live in a world where both can coexist. But um, I think as of right now, podcasts are on the uprise and talk radio is sort of sitting there. So one day I think podcasts will be more popular than talk radio, but I don't know if they'll completely eradicate it, if that answers your question. Next question uh, is from Delaney Sansom, or um, 
statement. Uh, this is more of a statement. Wiener schnitzel doesn't actually sell Wiener schnitzels. Now, that is very shocking because I would have thought that something called Wiener schnitzel would sell something like Wiener schnitzel. So, so let's start off by, first of all, I know it's a funny word. What is the definition of Wiener schnitzel? Uh, first of all, it's originated from Switzerland. It's a type of schnitzel made of a thin breaded pan fried veal cutlet. That's according to Wikipedia. So what's a schnitzel? Uh, schnitzel is a thin slice of meat, like cheese, sort of fried in fat. And the meat is usually thin by pounding with a meat tenderizer. That is also according to Wikipedia. Um, so, I mean, I'm really not going to answer the question because I don't really know if it is. A, it's not a question. It's more of a statement. So I'm going to make the statement uh, on the airwaves here. And I'm going to break everybody's mind on this one. Um, Wiener schnitzel doesn't actually sell Wiener schnitzels. I hate to break it to everybody, but that is fact of the matter. Next question is from... Uh, Claire Edwards, the love of my life, also known as. Um, Claire asks, can you celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving? Um, I think it's a good question because, you, you know, you do hear a lot of people that put up their Christmas trees right after Halloween that choose to start listening to Christmas music um, after Halloween. I know for my girlfriend, Claire, who asks this question specifically, um, She's already put up her Christmas tree, her and her roommate, and they're already decorated for Christmas. So um, I guess you think that you can decorate before. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I think you can. I think it's a, an appropriate time as the weather starts getting a little bit colder. You know, I associate cold fall weather with Christmas. And, you know, as soon as Thanksgiving's over, I mean, my family usually doesn't put up the Christmas tree until um, a few days after Thanksgiving. Um, and I'm assuming that won't change this year. <clears throat> so, um, I mean, yeah, I, I I do think that yeah, you should you could put the Christmas tree up. You could hide, you could start listening to Christmas music. You can start celebrating and wearing ugly Christmas sweaters all you want um, before Thanksgiving because I think it's a all around. It's just a very nice time um, for the holidays, and uh, overall, I think it's just appropriate. So you do you. I don't. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think you can celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving. So thanks for the question, Claire. <clears throat> next question or next hot take is from Cam Conglos of Sharp Top Cove Ropes fame. Thank you for the question, Cam. Miss you, brother. Uh, the question or the statement is Washington football team is a great name for a football team. Now, you know, it's funny. Uh, since they became the Washington football team back in July, I have sort of gone back and forth. Like, Do I like this name? Do I not like this name? Um, I think the general consensus right now is I think the name is starting to grow on me, although I would love to have an actual mascot. Um, but I, I think there is become something unique about the Washington football team that is, you know, it's something we've never seen in the history of the NFL. And um, it's, I mean, look, I don't know what the new name will be if there is one, but I think you got a point, Cam. I think that this name is starting to grow on me, and I think I'm starting to like it. Um a little bit more than I previously might have thought. So it is a good name for a football team. I, if in a perfect world, I would pre probably <clears throat> rather have um, a new name like Red Tails, Red Wolves, something like that, or the Warriors, like an actual mascot to have. But overall, um, Washington football team is not the worst thing in the history of the world. 
Okay. All right. Next que- uh, Next hot take is from TJ Vaught of Central Virginia Young Life fame. TJ asks, Nickelback, or says, Nickelback doesn't deserve most of the hate they get. Now, I completely agree with this statement. Nickelback, well, first of all, Nickelback really has one song that you've heard, and it's Photograph. Um, and I've heard that song, and I really don't see why people hate that song or people hate Nickelback. I think they got an interesting sound. I think it was appropriate for the early 2000s. I mean, they were right up there with, you know, guys like Linkin Park. You know, Nickelback had a unique sound that was that was just, you know, par for the course back in 2001, 2002. Um, and I think their music, I think people hate Nickelback because the media sort of tells them to hate Nickelback. Um, that's just my personal stance on it. You could, you could have a very personal vendetta against Nickelback, but I personally think that they have an interesting grunge sound. They got some good songs. Um, and overall, um, people hate them because they've been told to hate them. Okay. All right. And my last one here is from Nora Fiorita, the queen of Sharp Top Cove herself of Wisconsin fame. Nora or Queen Nora asks, she or says she would rather have a McDouble than a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Very interesting. That is okay. Now that's a statement that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say. Uh, Chick-fil-A is a generally more well thought of and less criticized fast food restaurant than McDonald's is. Um, I've never heard. I've heard some people that do like McDonald's, but I've just never heard someone that likes a McDouble over a typical number one Chick-fil-A sandwich. Um, I've personally never had a McDouble, but I have had a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And let me just say it is amazing. Um, It is. I don't think it's better than the chicken nuggets fried or grilled on the menu for Chick-fil-A, but I do think that um, it has to, I've never had a McDouble, but I can almost assure you that it is better than that. Um, So that is a very hot take. Maybe I'll put that as a poll on my Instagram post for this episode. Would you rather have a McDouble or a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Very interesting. I will be sure to poll the audience um, after this. Um, okay. So though, so if you didn't hear your question answered, it's because I either couldn't get to it or, um, I didn't understand it. So, um, don't feel offended if I did not get to it. Uh, I am trying my best and yeah. So thank you all for answering or asking questions. I will continue to do this as long as, uh, Instagram allows me. And, uh, that concludes the mailbag portion of this episode of the Jadav show. So, joining me now on the Jadeva Show, we have a very nice treat. An old buddy of mine from high school. He is a Muay Thai fighter and an award-winning figure skater all the way out in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, one of my best friends for the last better part of the past decade. Uh, now introducing to the Jadeva Show, Matt Flaherty. How you doing? Flaherty, how's life out there in Colorado? Hey, Jacob, things are going well for me. I appreciate you having me on the show so that I can maybe pretend that I know what I'm talking about with some stuff with you, who actually does know what he's talking about. Yeah, pretend is a very important word in that equation. Uh, I want to start with this. I know you're big into fighting. Uh, So Conor McGregor is fighting again in January. Nice way to kick off the sports world of 2021. Uh, He's facing Dustin Poirier. 
uh, and he's already beaten him previously. Uh, but Dustin Poirier is sort of uh, on the come up, and McGregor has been out of fighting for a while. What type of McGregor do you think that we are going to see uh, early on uh, next year? Well, you know, I think that's the big question. What type of McGregor? After he beat Eddie Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez and got the double champion, he, of course, went on to fight Floyd Mayweather, got a lot of money. And I think it's safe to say after that, a lot of that money went to his head. Um, when he fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, he didn't do too hot. He certainly wasn't taking the camp as seriously as he should have, and he was saying that in interviews afterwards. And, of course, when he fought Donald Cerrone at the start of this year, he showed that he was making strides to becoming the McGregor that we were used to seeing. So it's going to really come down to, is McGregor going to take Dustin Poirier as seriously as he should have? Now, since he fought Poirier in the past, he should go into it with some confidence that he has the power in his hands to put him down. But Dustin Poirier has really improved over that time. He beat Eddie Alvarez as well, although with more difficulty, but still beat a former champion. He beat Max Holloway, who's the featherweight champion and very well could be the best featherweight of all time. He went on to beat a lot of really great guys like Justin Gaethje, Dan Hooker. He's been very active. He's been making a lot of progress and strides. His boxing's really good. But I think where McGregor really excels when he puts in the time and effort is controlling the distance and controlling where the engagements take place. Dustin Poirier seems to need to be in kind of that closer boxing range. McGregor does a really good job using his reach, using the back teeth, which is, you know, like the the straight leg kick, like karate kid thing, but without the jump, um, using that to control the distance and pawing with that, uh, with that front hand to set up that straight cross to really put people down. So it's going to be really interesting to see if McGregor is in a way come back to where he once was, or if Dustin Poirier has improved enough that he's going to really be able to give McGregor a real fight. Now McGregor also has a issue with his gas tank. Excluding the second Nate Diaz win, every single win he's had, especially by finish, has happened in those first two rounds. So if Dustin Poirier can outlast that storm in the first two rounds and take him into those deeper waters, I believe that Dustin's going to have the cardio conditioning to probably win that fight, maybe in a decision, very possibly in a finish. We've never seen McGregor get finished by strikes before. Every single loss of his has been from submissions, both when he was on the regional scene and when he was fighting in the UFC, Nate Diaz and then Khabib. So it'll be interesting to see how McGregor kind of deals with that. I mean, the main thing he needs to do if he wants to win this fight is to control the distance and to place the shots where he needs to place them. He knows very well that it's not so much about power. It's more about the speed of the strike controlling the distance and making sure he's hitting at the bottom of the chin to really maximize the damage on Dustin. Dustin needs to be able to close the distance, maybe get into more of a clinch type of fight where the boxing is going to be more of that close, dirty boxing kind of based off of that clinch, break the clinch, do some dirty boxing and then re-engage in that clinch, not giving McGregor the chance to really control the distance. But again, that's what McGregor's good at. He's really good at taking guys that, prefer to box kind of up close and keeping them at a distance and making the fight his. And it's it's going to really come down to who's able to take control of the fight within that first round and set the pace for everything. It should be a great fight. Yeah, at this point, between the two of them, who would you really view as 
the favorite um, as we're still a couple of months out from this fight. Right. Who do you view right now as the favorite? Right now, I think McGregor is, is the favorite. But really, that's just the Vegas odds. And there's a lot of people from Ireland that will bet on McGregor regardless of who he's fighting. Really, the favorite right now should be Dustin Poirier. He's more active. He's proven himself against great competition. And I think that really plays a, a role into things. Ring rust really is a thing. The more comfortable you are, the more loose you are going into that fight, stepping into that ring, the better you're going to do. McGregor hasn't fought in a year. But of course, he's proven that he excels under this, the spotlight. I really think this is kind of a pick 'em. I wouldn't be surprised either way to see Dustin Poirier win or to see McGregor win. But just looking at the way that things have been over the last two years, I'm inclined to say that Dustin Poirier has the better shot of winning this fight. However, McGregor has proven that the odds don't really affect him. The pressure doesn't affect him, but it's close. I would lean 52% Poirier, 48 McGregor, but we'll see how things play out over the next two months, two and a half months. Well, those are very tight odds. It'll be interesting to see the, the lead up to that fight. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't get you out of here uh, without talking about uh, the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, the team of our youth, the team right down the street uh, growing up in Ashburn. Off to a 2-6 and six start onto their third starting quarterback. Alex Smith is coming back this week after Kyle Allen broke his ankle against the Giants last week. Do you think in this horrible NFC East that Washington is in, do you think at two and six with Alex Smith as their quarterback, there is a significant path uh, for Washington to potentially win the division this year? You know, I, and football isn't really where um, I can speak with any real intelligence beyond just watching it on Sundays and maybe watching some ESPN. But I, I'm inclined to say that there's a chance that we could still pull off something. I, I'd like to think that if Alex Smith gets the time to kind of settle into the offense, kind of get used to things, that could be really beneficial. Honestly, what I'd really like to see happen is we draft a quarterback uh, in the draft this year. Alex Smith gets a full year to play to mentor this guy, whether we, again, draft a new guy, maybe we stick with Dwayne Haskins. Either way, we give the new guy some time to develop under a experienced NFL veteran who knows what they're doing and is able to kind of give them the tricks of the trade and then maybe build from that. I'd, I'd like to hope that maybe in three, four years, we can be more of a 10 and six team, less of a three and 13 team. But it, I think we're in a good spot and that speaks more to how bad the NFC East is than anything. But I think we're in a pretty decent spot to maybe pull something off in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I probably completely agree with you. Uh, last question before we get you out of here. Uh, we all know, for all that's listening that knows me and Flaherty, know that Flaherty is a big traveler, likes to go and explore uh, new places. He lives out in Colorado, loves driving around. Uh, what is the latest big place that you have gone to visit in the last, since quarantine really began back in March? Like, what's the big thing you've, big place you've been to uh i went to uh mount hood in oregon i've never been to the northwest before so i i uh the school boulder you could submit your 
finances and they would send you a check of a couple thousand dollars to live off of. And I kind of exaggerated how much money I spent on masks and hand sanitizer, but I got some cash, went out to Oregon, tried to climb Mount Hood. Uh, that turned into a disaster. Um, but I, I still did bet I 98% there. Um, but I went out there. That was really cool. Uh, got to go to Montana on the way back, got some really good uh, beef jerky um when i was there but yeah that was that was kind of uh what i've been up to really cool part of the country cascades were beautiful matt flaherty ladies and gentlemen thank you flaherty for being on the show uh we will thank you jacob for having i will definitely have you back on as the mcgregor fight gets closer to the time good luck out there in boulder and hope to see you very soon awesome thank you jacob you take care hope the best for you absolutely thank you matt all right so that will lead me into the final part of today's episode of the Jadava Show, predicting week 10. Already in week 10 of the NFL season, uh, there are five 1 o'clock games, and there are 1, 2, 3, 4, oh, 5 games, 3, 4, oh, 5 games, and 3, 4, 25 games. A lot of games on Sunday. Um, a lot of late window games should make for a very exciting time. Uh, so here we go. I'll pick the favorites, or I'll pick the underdogs. Here we go. First game, Texans-Browns. Browns, Browns three-and-a-half-point home favorites. I'm going to take Cleveland at minus three-and-a-half. Cleveland, before they lost to the Raiders, okay, they've been putting up points like 35, 34, 49, 32, and 37. 32-plus points a game in five of six games for the Browns, and they're probably going to get Nick Chubb back. Houston has allowed at least 25 points in pretty much every game this season. So they are very vulnerable. The Browns have a very good offense. I think they're well coached on offense, and they're coming off a bye. I like Cleveland over Houston by more than three and a half points. I like that line. All right, Green Bay hosting the Jaguars. Uh, Packers, I'm taking the Packers, minus 14. I do think it'll be a blowout. Aaron Rodgers has had a tendency to blow out everybody this season that's not Tampa Bay uh, or even Minnesota. He has found a way to really put together nice performances. He's coming off uh, extended time after playing uh, a couple Thursday nights ago, and uh, he's getting one of the worst defenses in the NFL in Jacksonville, who's starting a sixth-round rookie quarterback, making his second career start. I like Green Bay to win in the ballpark of 38-17. to 17. All right, uh, Eagles-Giants. Eagles are three-point road favorites. I like the Giants at plus three, though I do like the Eagles to win this game. Philadelphia, three, four, and one. They're getting healthier. Everybody's coming back. Alshon Jeffries finally practicing. They're getting Miles Sanders back. They'll get Lane Johnson back. And all of a sudden, the Eagles at three, four, and one, currently atop the NFC East by a game and a half, will extend it to two and a half, two and a half game lead. Uh, they have dominated the Giants of recent years. I know the Giants have been playing well, but the last four wins the Giants have had as a franchise have come against Washington. Okay, beat somebody else, and then you have my trust. Speaking of Washington, we have the Washington football team and the Detroit Lions. Uh, no line for this game right as of right now, uh, middle of the day, November, 4th, uh, November 13th. Um, I, I like Washington in this game. I know I'm a homer, but I do like the Washington football team, Alex Smith, as Washington's starter in his career is 6-4, and four, 
Uh, he has always found a way to win. He had a five-year stretch or an eight-year stretch, excuse me, where he had the third most wins in the NFL behind Tom Brady and uh, Russell Wilson. And now he gets a Detroit team that I think is starting to reel a bit on defense. I know it's on the road. Washington's due to win a road game this season. I like Washington to win around five to six points. All right, Tampa Bay and Carolina. Tampa is six-point uh, road favorite. I do like the Panthers at plus six, but I'm going to take the Buccaneers to win the game, a close game. Uh, I don't think it'll be that. I think it'll be closer than a six-point game. It might be a field goal differential. Tom Brady tends to struggle under pressure, and Carolina's starting to turn up the heat on quarterbacks. So I do like that. I like the Buccaneers to win the game, but I'll take the points. Panthers at plus six. All right, Raiders and Broncos. Raiders are four-and-a-half-point home favorites. Love the Raiders at minus four-and-a-half. Look, the Raiders, there might be confusing. You might not know anything about them. But give them some credit. The Broncos, first of all, are a mess. They don't know anything on. They can't do anything on offense. In the last two weeks, they won a ugly. The Raiders. They've won an ugly game against the Browns at five and three, a five and three team. And then last week they won a shootout on the road against Justin Herbert. I think they proved to you in the last two weeks the Raiders can win in multiple ways. They beat Kansas City. Okay, they've won three of their last four. I think they're awfully talented, and Derek Carr is looking like a top five or six quarterback in the NFL. Playing a division rival that he seems to be owning in recent years, I like the Raiders. All right, Dolphins and Chargers. Uh, Dolphins are a mere one-and-a-half-point home favorite over the two-and-six Chargers. Love Miami at minus one-and-a-half. Miami with a young, hot quarterback. I know Justin Herbert can play. The Dolphins have had had three non-offensive touchdowns in the last two games. They are playmakers all over that team, not just on offense. And Tua is getting better every time he steps on the field. I like Miami in this one, but it will be a shootout. All right, Buffalo and Arizona. Cardinals, two-and-a-half-point home favorites to beat the Bills. I like Buffalo at plus two-and-a-half. Buffalo is starting to figure it out. Okay, defensively, I know they are a little bit rough, but they're starting to force turnovers. And Kyler Murray has been prone to turn the ball over this season. Josh Allen's playing some of the best football of his career, and Arizona does not have a great defense. And Josh Allen against bad defenses this year, namely Seattle last week. Yeah, he's an absolute phenom. Love Buffalo to not only cover at plus two and a half, but I do like them to win this game by five. All right, Seattle and the Rams. The Rams are one and a half point home favorites over Seattle. They give the home team automatically minus three. So this really is an indictment on the Rams. Um, I'm not touching this game um, in terms of the line, but I do like Seattle to end up winning. Um, I think the Seahawks are just too powerful on offense to overcome their all-time bad defense. They're like the 2018 Chiefs. Generational quarterback, all sorts of weapons, great running game, great coaches. They just can't do anything on defense. They're, they're exactly like the 2018 Chiefs that ended up losing in overtime of the AFC Championship. Maybe that's what Seattle's headed for, but They're very talented. It just doesn't seem to be working right now. All right, Saints and Niners. Saints, nine and a half points as a home favorite. I like San Francisco at plus nine and a half, though I do like New Orleans to win this game. The Saints have really turned it. Look, 38 to three win over the Buccaneers last week. That's great, but they're not going to do that to everybody. San Francisco can still play a little bit. They just got demoralized on a short week, missing almost all of their offensive talent. 
They still got Kyle Shanahan. Nick Mullins has experience starting for this team in this offense. I like the Niners to cover, but I like the Saints to win. All right, closing out the early games, Bengals and Steelers, Pittsburgh seven and a half point home favorites to beat Cincinnati. And guess what? I'm taking the Bengals at plus seven and a half. Though, yes, I still do like the Steelers to win the game and stay undefeated. Since Steelers have been able to have not been able, excuse me, to keep games close this season, to blow out teams this season. Every game has been close. Okay, they only beat Dallas by five. They beat Baltimore by four. They beat Tennessee by three. But Philadelphia by nine. They beat the Houston by seven. They beat Denver by six, by five, excuse me. And they only beat the Giants by ten. Okay, they've, they've blown out one opponent this year, and that was the Browns, okay, at home. They always dominate Cleveland at home. Until I see by further notice if Pittsburgh can blow out anybody, I'm not picking them as big home favorites or big favorites in any game. The Steelers have been able to keep things close. Joe Burrow is playing very good football. He leads the NFL in 300-yard passing games. I think this will be a competitive game. All right, in Sunday Night Football, I'll call the Monday Night game on Monday, but... um. Monday night, Ravens and Patriots, Baltimore seven-point road favorites. I'm taking the Ravens at minus seven. Look, New England could barely figure out a way to beat the Jets. They almost lost to the winless Jets. They got no offense. I know Jacoby Myers is playing better, but overall, this team just does not figure it, cannot figure it out on offense, and Cam Newton has not thrown a touchdown pass since week three. The Ravens still remain a top three or four team in the NFL. Roster-wise, in my opinion, I love Baltimore to blow out New England. They did it last year when the Patriots had Tom Brady. All right, so that concludes my uh, Friday edition of the Jadava Show. Hope you all have a great weekend, uh, great weekend watching sports. The weather will be beautiful here in Lynchburg and other places in Virginia. We will see you Monday to recap week 10 of the NFL season. And until then, I'm your host, Jacob Valier, and we will talk to you very, very soon.